0: According to a group of Harvard virologists, COVID-19 may lead us to pursue intermittent social distancing until 2022.
1: have cordoned off areas near Milan and Venice, where about 50,000 people live. In Venice, where this is normally carnival time, the party's over, canceled days early. The masks have changed, and people are getting out of town.
0: And you're looking down at the crossroads of the world, Times Square, 7th Avenue and Broadway where they meet. And even on a normal weekday, you would see nothing but buses and cabs and cars and people trying to fight for space to get through this area. And of course, now you can see only a few cars going through the area, only a few people. But maybe this doesn't have to be the case. After all, medical professionals all around the world are coming
1: together to develop an effective vaccine.
0: An experimental coronavirus vaccine was administered to a human test subject in Seattle today. The fast-tracked research is one of dozens of projects underway around the world, as scientists frantically search for a way to contain
1: and prevent the deadly virus.
0: Today, our co-producer, Dalvin Abuaji, speaks with Neil Browning, 46, who is currently on trial for the COVID-19 vaccine in partnership with Moderna and the Kaiser Permanente Washington Research
1: Institute. You can overreact and in the future look back and say, maybe that was an overreaction, maybe not, but it seems to have made this less of a big impact than what we thought it was going to be. Or you can say, oh my gosh, you know, this is stupid. I think this is an overreaction. And in hindsight, I'd much rather look back and say, maybe we overreacted and saved a lot of lives rather than saying, wow, we should have reacted sooner and we can't get those dead people back.
0: My name is Jenny Dadari, And I'm Caroline Klawinowski. And this is the utopian.
1: We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won. And they must be won and used for the progress of all people.
0: You live and work in the Seattle area, is that right?
1: I live in the greater metropolitan Seattle area, and I'm a network engineer by trade. Uh, I've lived in the Seattle area for about 27 years. I'm originally uh, from the southeastern U.S.
0: How did you initially find out about the vaccine trial at Kaiser Permanente?
1: So um, this was late February, early March time frame. A buddy of mine that I worked with many, many years ago in IT had made a post on his Facebook wall about the coronavirus and how it's basically not going to be contained and how it's sweeping through everything since people can be asymptomatic, but it's still able to be spread. So without enough testing, we're not going to know how far it's gone. I made a response to it, and we had a little back and forth discussion about it on Facebook. And later that evening, he texted me um, and said, hey, you know, how's it going? I said, oh, pretty good. How are you? And he goes, well, I see that you are expressing interest in this. And I came across where Kaiser Permanente is doing a study for it. If it's something you're interested in, I can send you an email address that you can send information to, and they'll contact you if they're interested in having you for the trial. I said, yeah, that's definitely interesting. I'd like to know a little more about it. So, yeah, go ahead and shoot me that information. That night, he sent me a text with an email address and said, just, you know, shoot them your phone number and name and they'll get back to you if they're interested. And the next day, I got a call from someone who took down my name, age, that kind of stuff, because they had certain requirements for both health and age uh, before entering the trial. And when I asked a little more about it and learned what it was all about, I said, sure, I'll, you know, go ahead and throw my name in the hat. And they went ahead and signed me up. Went through my medical history to uncover any underlying issues that might be a problem for being one of the initial vaccination trial volunteers. Read through a whole bunch of boilerplate type information on what the time commitment would be, uh, the timeline of the entire trial, risks and things like that that I needed to be aware of. And said if it sounds good, then I can go ahead and uh, come on in. They'll do some blood work. Uh, do a full physical on me and have me sign some paperwork to know that I understand what the risks and time commitments are. And if the blood work comes back clean and I look to be in good health, then they would offer to enroll me in the program.
0: So you weren't concerned going in? Did you ever worry about how it might affect your health in any way?
1: Well, I knew I was healthy, but I mean, you know, I'm a father. I have uh, little girls and I don't want (laughs) to abandon them by doing something that would put my life at risk. So I did, you know, a little bit of research about it after They sent me some information about how this would work. And I felt comfortable enough um, after doing a little bit of research into what this was and how it was working that this was a minimal amount of risk to my health, but obviously a potential huge benefit to the entire world's population of human beings.
0: What was it like actually getting the vaccine itself? When and where did you get it, and how did it make you feel afterwards?
1: So I had to go in... um, As I said, I had to go in a few times um, for a physical, sign paperwork, um, take some blood. And they had to make sure that I was completely healthy and wanted to be a part of the program before it went down to the time when I was getting the vaccine. After everything came back and they said, yeah, you're good to go if you'd still like to participate. I said, sure, let's go ahead and do it. And they set up the first um, vaccination on March 16th. Uh, so I drove down to downtown Seattle to a building where Kaiser has their immunology research center at and did another physical that morning. They took my temperature, blood pressure, listened to my chest, you know, a little bit of a physical, made sure I hadn't felt sick or had a fever within the last seventy two hours and then uh let me sit in the room for a few minutes and uh pharmacist came up with the needle and just gave me the injection in my arm just like getting a flu shot. It hurt less than Blue shots I've gotten in the past, it felt almost like nothing. Then they had me stay there for about an hour to make sure I didn't have any weird immediate reactions. Um, checked my blood pressure, heart rate, everything again. Said, "Yeah, you're looking good. There's no discoloration at the injection site. Doesn't feel painful. Red, itchy, swelling. So you're going to go home." And I said, "All right, great." Honestly, it was a big amount of underwhelming experience. There, there was a very, very slight amount of soreness in my arm at the injection site the following morning when I woke up, but that disappeared within, oh, probably five minutes after I woke up and got moving around and got the blood flowing.
0: Now, this isn't like a flu vaccine, right? It's using a whole new process that uses the virus's own genetic material. Is that correct?
1: Correct. There is no dead or weakened strain of this virus in the vaccine. Um, Yes, it does use messenger RNA, which is basically like a set of instructions. Viruses are either made of DNA or RNA. Uh, this is an RNA process. And what this RNA strand does is when it goes into my bloodstream, it basically teaches my cells how to create the protein structure. It is the exact replica of what you've seen on the TV with the COVID virus cell, this little sphere with all the little triangular extrusions coming off of the outside of the shell. So it's teaching my body to make those exact same structures to mimic what the outside of the COVID-19 virus looks like. And the idea is that when my body sees those, it'll say that's not supposed to be there. Um, The immune system will kick in, send white blood cells to the area, which will start making antibodies that learn how to attach to the outside of that cell based on those little protein structures. And once it's able to learn how to make those antibodies, then that will allow the white blood cell to absorb and destroy the protein. So the idea is, By teaching your body in a very much safer way than having a weakened or uh, dead version of a virus injected, it's just basically learning what the structure itself looks like so that when you are uh, exposed to this in the future, hopefully your body remembers exactly how to fight it off and does so.
0: Now, any vaccine for COVID-19 is still months away and your study is still ongoing. What are they currently having you do in the meantime? What kind of changes to your body are they checking for periodically?
1: So this, this did not go through any type of animal testing first. So human beings are the first. We are the first animals to test this. So the first couple of weeks is focused mainly on um, we would have to take a log home and record even the slightest symptom we might have seen, whether we thought it was associated with the injection or not. They want to know anything that we see happening to our bodies that's out of the norm. And then they would determine further if they felt it was something that was caused by some outside condition or if it was the vaccine. They had to take our temperature for eight days. And as long as I didn't exhibit any issues and my temperature was normal after eight days, I was allowed to not have to do that kind of stuff anymore, which was my case. I would have no side effects whatsoever. So one week after the injection, we went in for blood work. And that was basically another way to verify Our body was having no adverse reaction to the vaccination. My blood work came back and looked completely all within spec and normal. So that went to uh, actually yesterday, which was 15 days after the injection, where they did a larger amount of blood draw. That is being sent off to a lab for detailed analysis to verify that my body has, number one, created the protein structures as expected. Number two, my immune system saw it as a threat and reacted by increasing white blood cell count. And number three, hopefully also seeing that the antibodies were being created that would be able to attach to and help the body attack and destroy those protein structures.
0: Your state was one of the first in the country to really get hit by COVID-19. How did that impact your everyday routine? I mean, you're currently working from home right now, correct?
1: Yes. Um, So thankfully, my employer was one of the first to encourage people who didn't need to come into the office to just absolutely work from home. So I've been doing that for over a month now. Our school district was actually the first in the country to, even before the governor recommended it, proactively just say, we're not going to have the kids come to school. We're shutting down completely. Um, At the time, a lot of people really were critical of that and felt it was a huge overreaction. In the weeks following, it became apparent that That was the right reaction. And they now have a basically uh, migration of the classroom to the cloud where the kids have Zoom virtual meetings with their uh, classes and teachers. They have work assigned to them through Google Classroom and similar type online experiences. They're able to do their work, submit it, and their teacher checks it and gives feedback that day. So thankfully, their life is uninterrupted in terms of getting an education. They miss out on the social aspect of being able to see their friends because we are a shelter in place state where basically you go outside for walks, but otherwise you basically stay home unless you absolutely have to go somewhere critical like a gas station, pharmacy, or grocery store.
0: Yeah, I completely get you there. It's pretty surreal on our end seeing places like New York City turn into basically a ghost town in the matter of a few days, really.
1: Yeah, it is extremely surreal. Um, Not seeing. Any traffic, really, on the roads. Um, My fiance is a nurse uh, who still has to go to work. Um, Her work is with cancer patients, so thankfully she's not on the front line, you know, having to deal with this and possibly being infected. But her, you know, 12-mile commute that used to take her about 30 to 40 minutes one way is now a speed limit commute. She's there in, you know, 12 minutes because it's all on the interstate. Freeway system. So, like there's no traffic whatsoever, you might as well be driving on like a Sunday at five in the morning, comparatively, near Ghost Town.
0: I think one thing the entire world is learning right now is how easy society's biggest institutions can be pushed to their breaking point. I mean, you could just look at how it's overwhelming the healthcare system, or, of course, you could look at the current state of the economy with the downturn going on. What kind of ways do you think it's been sort of a wake-up call for all of us? Has the virus affected a certain segment of everyday life that you didn't think could really be impacted by an event like this?
1: Yeah, it's definitely been... Interesting. I know around here we have a lot of technology companies and there's definitely been a strain uh, on the bandwidth at home. Some uh, ISPs are throttling things down so that everybody gets their even share and amount. Uh, most people aren't doing work from home, so there's not that big pipe that everybody's used to when you're at work that you can just get on the Internet and do whatever you need to do. Um, I know that my company had never designed our remote work system to have a hundred percent of the people work from home for the most part. So there was a lot of work done to beef up firewalls, um, add VPN capacity, things like that, to go from you know what was ever projected to be like a fifty-sixty percent work from home max case scenario to near one hundred percent. The stores around here, like the big ones like Costco and Home Depot, things like that, now have a maximum amount of people allowed into the store once, and. There's a queue outside where they basically don't want to see entire families. They want to see one person with one car. They keep six feet apart as they go through a queue, kind of like what you'd see at Disneyland, meandering through the parking lot. And when it's your time to go in the store, you go in, you only touch what you need. You don't put things back on the shelf and, and, you know, potentially spread germs and things. They have workers going behind everyone, wiping things down when things are touched, like, you know, handles in the frozen food department when you need to open the door. It's, it's been really, really odd. It's almost like uh, being part of a horror movie or something, you know, where this extremely deadly virus would be causing problems.
0: I mean, I know it's hard to say, but do you see any sort of silver lining to the current situation?
1: Yeah, I know a lot of stores have started having senior hours, the first hour or two that they are open, where it's only senior citizens allowed to come in after things are restocked so they can get the critical things they need, plus not being exposed to you know the hundreds of other people who might be in line or at the store. Um, a lot of people are really leveraging things like virtual meeting spaces, FaceTime, to be able to still be in contact with friends and neighbors and family members even when you know, they can't really get together. I know in my neighborhood, some of the ladies have gotten together and done like a virtual happy hour where they still get a sense of camaraderie and don't go stir crazy. Um, so it, it's good that technology is still making some things seem normal, even though the way we're doing them is not the way we used to.
0: What's a piece of advice you'd give someone who's currently struggling during society's collective rough patch?
1: You know, seeing some of the statistics that have come out, um, being that Washington was where the first case was discovered, and you would think that we would be with a a population, you know, not quite what New York City is, but definitely a major metropolitan area, you would think that we would be seeing the same issues being an earlier outbreak that was discovered than New York City. But I have to say that our governor being a little more, at the time, what was criticized as being overly reactive You can overreact and in the future look back and say, maybe that was an overreaction, maybe not, but it seems to have made this less of a big impact than what we thought it was going to be. Or you can say, oh my gosh, you know, this is stupid. I think this is an overreaction. And because of the lag time between when people actually feel sick and when they're actually able to still pass it on and they're contagious but feel fine, you're not going to be able to know if you were overreacting or not. And in hindsight, I'd much rather look back and say, maybe we overreacted and saved a lot of lives rather than saying, wow, we should have reacted sooner and we can't get those dead people back. I mean, that's that's the tragedy. Just trust that you're doing the right thing. This is hard. We'll get through it. And even if you have the mindset of I'm young and I'm healthy and I'll be able to power through this, that's not why this is being done. It's the people who are weak and could be even members of your own family that you're unwittingly exposing something that could end their life.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's actually a really good point. I mean, I'm pretty sure you've already seen it, but when you mention that, I automatically think of the video of all the spring breakers out there on the Florida beaches and just the whole absurdity behind some of their answers for just foregoing social distancing guidelines altogether and just not really caring what's going on. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think this current pandemic is, while on one hand, bringing out the best in people, while on the other hand, it's also turning some people more individualistic and more to themselves and just more concerned about their well-being than the well-being of everyone else?
1: you know, I mean, we have states bigger than some countries in the world. So the fact that we're a a united set of states in one country, everyone knows that people talk different in different areas of the country, even though we speak the same language, they have different colloquialisms, they have different belief systems, even. Some areas are more liberal, some are more conservative. And it's helping really showcase the differences in thought process behind how people are digesting this and taking it to heart. And as far as, you know, whether or not it's an overreaction, and whether or not you know this is something that's styming my individuality and my ability. I know around here it's become very common to see people wearing masks in public, which usually you would only see um, Asian Pacific Islander people doing that even before this happened. Now you see people all over the place with it, so it's breaking down some some barriers. Of thought and saying, maybe I do something that normally I would have cuckooed and, and thought was stupid if it's got a good result. I mean, I'm sure there's statistics somewhere which show people who died because of wearing a seatbelt. Like, you know, if a, if a car runs under a tractor trailer truck and you can't duck down because the seatbelt grabs you, sure, there's going to be some instances that are very edge cases where if you wear a seatbelt, you could die. But people don't not wear seatbelts because of that outlier less than a fraction of a percent of chance they wear seat belts because the bulk of the time that's what's going to save you and protect you if you're in an accident this is the same way you go ahead and you do the things that might be a little bit annoying and change your life in the short term in order to save a lot of lives down the road
0: We recently checked up with Neil a few weeks after I talked with him, and he's doing alright overall. A little over a week ago he received a second dose of the vaccine, and in the few weeks we've spoken he's gotten his blood drawn a few times and gone through some physicals, and so far all signs point to him doing pretty well. If you'd like to keep up with his personal vaccine experiences and how he's doing, you can actually check out a curated feed of posts that he writes that are basically sort of like day-by-day or week-by-week updates on the vaccine process. You can check that out on his Twitter feed, which is at Neil Browning, that's N-E-A-L, and Browning spelled just how it sounds, and we'll catch you guys next time.